This is Hometown Mornings News and Views. Comments and opinions expressed are of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect those of Sunrise Broadcasting. Your participation is welcome. The Hometown Morning Hotline is now open at 715-298-9888. And when calling, please turn your radio down. And now, this morning's edition of News and Views. And joining us this morning for news and views from the MacGyver Institute, Ola Lasowski. Ola, welcome back. And remind everybody, if they want to get in touch with you, how to reach you via email at MacGyverInstitute.com. Thanks for having me, Oliver. Yeah, uh, Ola Lasowski, I'm an educational analyst at uh, MacGyver. You can reach me anytime at Ola Lasowski at MacGyverInstitute.com. I know it's kind of a long one. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, at least it's not anti-disestablishmentarianism. There you go. True. This is true. <laughs> I just figured in honor of education, we talk about the longest word in the English language. You did not know that, did you? No, I did know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very That's good. That's a good one. It's a good example. Now, <laughs> you have the data. And you have... There's a lot of it. There is a lot of it. Now... Aggregate data, the report cards are in, sort of like the the original Family Feud with Richard Dawson. 100 people surveyed top X number of answers on the board. Mm-hmm. What does the report card look for Wisconsin schools? Because I have this sneaking suspicion, because remember the three fundamental rules of the host, learn to distrust, <laughs> continue to distrust, and distrust and verify. <laughs> that uh, the criteria here may be somewhat subjective. That's right. And as a result of subjectivity, that uh, we can't really compare this year's data to last year's data. Am I correct, Ola Lasowski? You know, they are definitely normative results. So what we're seeing here, and DPI admits this, what we're seeing here is that schools and school districts are being compared to each other rather than one solid, steady uh, bar, so to speak, or goalpost. So basically, so, these are subjective standards. That's so true. that because uh, exactly. I've looked at I've looked at your piece at MacGyverInstitute.com, and as soon mm-hmm. as I looked at it, I said, "Hmm." Something smells like Limburger. Yeah. Because you have to have, if they're normative data, it's like they wanted you to have an above-average score. They want you to have everybody to be above average, but that is mathematically impossible because the average changes. But nobody says these things. See, I used to teach research methodology and statistics, so I know when something smells like Limburger cheese. Yeah, this is why exactly. I look at your story and I say, you can show us in a very fine graph in the story showing the degree of school change because the categories become relative. Now, That's I right. say this up front so that people will, because I can just imagine the equivalent of hooray for our side. 2016-17 Wisconsin school report cards. Now, in 2016, which was the 15-16 study, Milwaukee Public Schools, okay? 42% fail, 42 
30% failed to meet expectations. 41 right. schools, 30% met few expectations. 22% met expectations, exceeds expectations 15%, and two significantly exceeds expectations. Now, you see, every one of those should have a quantitative measure. Right. But that's why in all of this, one thing that I think is so important, and we, we can dig into this a little bit, um, you know, we have, of course, this five-star ranking that you just laid out. It does not follow the traditional cutoff scores that you would think that we're all, you know, comfortable with and used to in the education world. For example, the average accountability score statewide is a 66.7. If I took a score like that home, I would be in pretty big trouble, 67 out of 100. Uh, but for most, the headlines that you'll be seeing is most districts and schools do pretty well. Um, if you break it down from the three-star rating above, that means if a school or a district got uh, three stars so they met expectations or did better, 77% of schools did that this year. 95% of districts did that this year. So it's very easy to kind of take a quick glance at these numbers and say, hey, we're doing all right. Okay, cool. Zero failing districts. That's down from five failing districts last year. But, you know, you actually have to scroll back <laughs> all the way through those Excel spreadsheets until you get to the proficiency numbers. Because that's what's really important. That's the one benchmark here that doesn't change. And you realize, you know, while maybe 95% of school districts are doing all right, they uh, are up to muster, 41% of our kids are proficient in math, 44 in English language arts. And so in some of these districts like Milwaukee Public Schools, which, yes, is not technically failing neither this year nor last year, we know that there are almost 25,000 kids in those schools that actually are named failing. So, like you said, it's kind of statistics, right? There's a lot of different ways to cut these numbers. All right. Now, let's break this down because the Racine Unified School District was on the failing list. Nobody's failing this year. That's right. So That's right. they got off the failing list because if you fail, there's supposed to be some consequences. Right. But there aren't any. That's correct. So Racine is an interesting case. Um, what happened there, to, to kind of uh, bring the listeners up to speed, so last year there were five school districts that were named failing. Most of them were really small ones, uh, Cambria Friesland, four of them were those really little ones. And then Racine Unified was a big, you know, they enroll almost 20,000 kids. It's a big school district. So when they were named failing, of course, that brought a lot of uh, attention to that corner of the state, right? Um, and you also may be familiar with a law passed a couple years ago called the Opportunity Schools and Partnership Program. What that law does is it allows the state to set up a special turnaround school district, a special commissioner, and they can have more targeted support specifically for the schools that really, really need them. They tried to do this at MPS a couple years ago, and it just did not go over well. Now, one of the requirements for OSPP is that a school district is named failing, technically failing, they got the one star, 
two years in a row. So when Racine was dubbed failing last year, immediately all eyes point towards this year, kind of will they or won't they, until, of course, the legislature just stepped in uh, this past summer in the state budget, and they actually tinkered with that law a little bit more. So Racine is kind of an interesting case. Uh, the big news, the big takeaway for them this year, because they're not failing, they will not automatically trigger a referendum for a year from now as to whether or not they should split apart that school district and do something different. So that was the big news for administrators, especially who we know were not keen on this idea of, you know, so was this the equivalent, Ola, of the Protecting Failing Schools Act? You know, I can't say that I'm familiar with that one, Oliver. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't do the T-Berry Shuffle with me, Ola Lasowski. <laughs> they tinkered with the law. I can take right. and change the rules so nobody fails. Because right. you, they can't. tinkered with the law. But you look at the proficiency numbers. Those are right. absolutes. Others are relative. Meet expectations. Meet few expectations. Right. What's few? What's exceeds? What significantly exactly. exceeds? Show me the numbers, and the answer is DPI has made its methodology available, and it's a relative one. I just want to ask you, Lola, as the research assistant in this arena for the MacGyver Institute, did the legislative action earlier this year take the pressure off of those five districts, four little ones in Racine, so that they now didn't fail? In a lot, <laughs> I'm going to give you a typical complicated answer. That's fine. Uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, yes. In some ways, no. Because okay. the changes they made this year were, they had multiple folds to them. One of them being that regardless of whether or not Racine was named failing this year, one thing they did this summer is that the OSPP, if they were named failing, that means they're failing two years in a row, under normal situations, OSPP, the turnaround school district law, is supposed to go into effect. This summer, they waived that, and they said, okay, even if they're not failing, we'll give, or even if they are failing, we'll give them another year to, you know, they changed superintendents, they started all these new education initiatives, especially around STEM. Let's give them a little more time to figure it out and see if these uh, improvements are really going anywhere. So that was one. Um, it would not have triggered OSPP because of that change. But the real big question we now see, and at MacGyver Institute, we're actually going to be publishing more on this uh, later this week, so stay tuned. We have a look inside the administrators at RUSD and just how desperately they did not want to cede any power in any way, just the very idea of splitting apart the school district and at least letting the public vote on the idea, they were not keen on that. See, and so see that's that was my point. That's my point. By what the legislature did, because we saw what happened with Milwaukee. They had someone who was coming in from outside Milwaukee. I remember this story. I've forgotten right. his name. 
and basically, yeah, and they basically said, go home, stay home, because yeah. he was from a suburban district, and he threw up his hands and said, a plague be upon all your schools. Right. And that's yeah. where it is right now. I'm sorry, that sounds t- harsh, but i got to call it as it is. And having been in education at both the college level and the secondary level, I can speak to this. Exactly. The legislature took the heat off by saying you get another year. That's like when you end up failing the class, you get to take it again. You get to take it again. So the legislature, in effect, reduced accountability by giving them another year. They didn't fail, so they didn't need it. So the pressure is now off, but the people with the OSPP had the opportunity, if the school district had failed again before the law was changed, to say, break it up. Right. Do something different. Exactly. Exactly. So So that's why I said it was the equivalent of the Protecting Failing Schools Act. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I I just, you know, I calls it as I sees it. (laughs) All bad grammar intended. you know, (laughs) <laughs> One thing that's kind of hard with this, though, right, is the very, going back to kind of these normative scales. You know, in the real world, 67 out of 100 is a D. For DPI and education bureaucrats, it's a passing grade. Now, big picture, we haven't talked about this yet. Last year, this is kind of another, just it really makes you scratch your head. Last year, there were 99 failing schools. They got one star, you know, we don't call it an S anymore. It's one star uh, failing to meet expectations. 99 schools got that in five districts. This year, there are zero failing districts, but 117 failing schools. So, again, I know you're a math guy, right, a statistics guy. Explain that to me, because I think that the average person is really going to scratch their head and say, well, wait a second, something's wrong here. I mean, how do you... And the qualitative explanation is failing schools were spread out over a broader number of districts. Therefore, right. there wasn't enough of a concentration of failing schools within the district to trigger a failing rating for the district. Right. We need to take right. a break. When we come back, you're going to have some numbers, I think, for our region from this report card. Again, Ola Lasowski. MacGyver Institute, back with more of News and Views after this. For about another four minutes, no timeouts on the clock. Ola Lasowski, she is a research associate at the MacGyver Institute. Ola Lasowski at MacGyverInstitute.com. Your point before you give us our local data, go for it, Ola. Thanks, Oliver. So just to wrap this up, You know, report cards are meant to be a way for parents to be able to easily assess the performance of their local school districts. You would think that they would be pretty straightforward. But unfortunately, what you see when you really dig into this is the bureaucrat world doesn't really make a lot of sense. And there's a big difference between bureaucrat world and the real world. Now, while the headlines might say and they might tell us the majority of schools and the majority of districts are doing just fine, there are still 50,000 kids in failing schools in Wisconsin. Half of them are at MPS. Now, the point is, 
what chance do we have at improving these schools and these school districts if we can't call a spade a spade? We have to be honest about this. We have to bring it back to proficiency, step away from that calculus that the majority of people out there don't really get and it's not relevant to them. We have to keep it simple. Give us the numbers in two minutes and 30 seconds for schools in our region, uh, Ola Lasowski. Yeah, so I looked at four different school districts, uh, Wausau, Mosinee, D.C. Everest, and Merrill area. Uh, the biggest takeaway there, most of them are, all of them except for Merrill, are better than the state average, uh, which, again, when it, you know you have that kind of normative scale, that can say a lot of different things. Um, Merrill did slightly worse than the state average there. Overall accountability score was 64.2 out of 66.7. Uh, Wausau and Mosinevo, good news there. Both of them increased their accountability scores. They got one more star. That means that they exceed expectations. Wausau got 73.2. Mosinevo got 75 out of 100. Those are, those are pretty good scores. Um, some interesting points here and there. In Wausau, at least, both the best and the worst schools that were graded on the five-star scale, the best one and the worst one, both charter schools. So kind of interesting to see the, the innovation that is coming out and perhaps some of the, the things that aren't working. You, you really see that split there. The best school in Merrill on the other side, that is a charter school, Bridges Virtual Academy. Uh, there are 339 kids in failing schools, just two different failing schools, uh, one of them in Wausau, one of them in Merrill Elementary. And you saw proficiency gains almost everywhere, except D.C. Everest fell a little bit uh, this year compared to last year. They dropped about 3% in proficiency in English language arts, and Merrill dropped about 5% in math. So not a great trend. That's not what we want to see. Uh, but there are spots of hope everywhere. And ultimately, they're doing better than a lot of the other schools uh, in the rest of the state. So I guess, hey, by DPI standards, that means they're A-OK, right? <laughs> Reminds me of the guy who had his foot in boiling water with the right foot and liquid ice in the left foot. He had third-degree burns on the right foot, frostbite on the left, but on average, he was fine. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Ola Lasowski, MacGyver Institute. Ola Lasowski at MacGyverInstitute.com. We'll look forward to that story later this week, talking about education. And once you continue to dig, we will love to have you back to explain more and Thank keep you, us Oliver. informed. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care. 8.59 is the time right now. Fair skies, 44 degrees, wind chill of 40 Coming up next, we'll have the news, great Christmas music after that, and we'll be back tomorrow morning. Playing the greatest hits of all time.